Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, so this is the last in the series of people who wear capes and fly through the sky and so on, um, the superheroes. I, I'm not sure Joseph is my superhero. I, I think I've chosen it because he reminds me of one who's just like us. But sometimes you read about people in the Bible and they just seem so far away from what you ever could experience. But they're just bits about his life which make me sit down and think, hmm. So, so, so we'll go into this. It's, it's in Genesis towards the, the latter part of it. So um, I, I'm going to be reading most of the bits in Genesis and then stopping at different stages and then just reflecting on them. So we've heard about Jacob and um, thanks, Lee, for the anagrams uh, about that. I had a little table of all his, his, his um, sons and I took it out not knowing you'd already got something there. So Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So like a doting father, he had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated him because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So one night Joseph had a dream and and some of you will be very familiar with the story. He told his brothers about it and they hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And you get the impression that Joseph probably wasn't the most modest individual, um, He had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So, Joseph's dreams. First of all, he's his father's favorite. And I don't know if you grew up in a family where there was more than one child. And and it seems as if one of the children is is the favored one. My younger brother was the favorite one for my dad. And it was so good, you know, if I fell over and knocked over the TV and broke it, I just had to say it was him and there was no problem (laughs) at all. And and, and I I think his brothers had just about had enough um, about him. Was he a boastful, pride-filled young man? Don't know, but I looked at the bits where they say his brothers hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. It was almost like in their air all the time. Uh, And uh, he's now about 17 years old. Some of them are very much older than him, uh, not liking him at all. So, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. They'd been gone for a while, and Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are there, get ready, I'll send you to them. And Joseph said, I'm ready to go. Go and see how they're doing, then come back and bring me a report. Just before um, this story starts, Joseph apparently had given a bad report about his brothers back to his father. Again, another reason for them not to like him. But you also get the impression his brothers were not the most decent individuals. There's talk about when they 
practically slaughtered a whole village in revenge for what had happened to their sister. So you wonder whether Jacob's just wondering, what are they up to now? So he sends Joseph and says, come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem, got to Shechem, couldn't find them there. And somebody said, look, they've moved on to Dothan. So he goes on to Dothan. Joseph's brothers see him coming. They recognize him. And as he's approaching, they make plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And you get the impression the brothers were really hacked off at these dreams. So Joseph arrives. His brothers rip off the beautiful robe he's wearing. They grab him and throw him into the cistern. Cistern was empty and there was no water in it. The next bit is quite interesting. Just as they were sitting down to eat, so you take your brother, you throw him into a pit, and then you say, what's for supper? And you sit down and you're eating. They look up, they see a caravan of camels, and, and you know, bits are left out. I can't believe Joseph was just in the cistern and kept quiet and thought, I'll just see what's on my iPad. You know, this chap would have been screaming, let me out, help, and they sit down to eat. They see the caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them, and it's a group of Ishmaelite traders taking gum, balm, and aromatic resin down to Egypt. Judah says to his brothers, what are we going to gain by killing our brother? We'll have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And this is interesting. This is somebody pleading your cause, your brother, your flesh and blood. Why don't we just sell you? Um, So Judah later on comes to the fore um, when uh, the brothers are revealed to Joseph. But this again struck me. The sibling rivalry was so bad, it, you know, they felt it was better not to kill him, just sell him off, do away with him. All the brothers agreed. They sell him. The traders took him to Egypt. Then they killed a young goat, dipped Joseph's robe in its blood, and they sent it to their father. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Not our brother, your son, your favorite. Father recognizes it immediately. Yes, it's my son's robe. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces and Jacob is distraught. Just pause again and talk about sibling rivalry. And this is one of the reasons I say it it, it just reminds me of of ourselves. Um, No families where this isn't there. Favoritism shown by one parent to the child. Um, I know you've done that well, but why can't you just be like your brother? Why can't you just be like your sister? And it's interesting how it could be speaking of us today. Nothing irrelevant in this book. I'd like to just go back to the sort of environment Joseph must have lived in. There are 12 brothers. The youngest one, Benjamin, is hardly old enough to be an influence. Joseph is the youngest after that. And then all these other people have nothing good to say to you. He must be walking and they trip him up and they knock him and they make sure... To the end where they sell him, you wonder why they'd gone out to pasture and he's the only one staying with his father. Did his father not trust them with him? But it can't have been the most loving family that he grew up in. I'll come back to that in a second. Joseph gets sold and he's about the age of 17 when this happens. He goes to Potiphar's house, saw it in the cartoon earlier, And he starts working with Potiphar. 
Potiphar sees that the Lord is with him. The Lord gave him success in everything he did, and Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes and, came and became his attendant. It says the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph, and Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Potiphar wasn't the only one who'd noticed Joseph. Potiphar's wife was also paying attention, as it were, and um, tried to get him, tried to seduce him. Joseph, we're told, refused. He said, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held nothing back from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. And Joseph runs out. Potiphar's wife was spurned, furious, went and lied to her husband, and he just, out of jealousy, was exceedingly furious, and he throws Joseph into prison, where Joseph remained. Joseph and Potiphar's wife were told, Joseph said, how can I do this? And not sin against my master, not to, he says, how can I sin against God? One parallel is David, after he'd um, sinned with Bathsheba, in Psalm 51, David is praying to God and saying, Have mercy on me because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. And I suppose there are times when People hurt us, people do things against us, or we basically either want revenge or we commit sin. And we think it's just against that individual. And sometimes we justify it because it's that individual. When you turn it round and find it's against God, I think it might change your perspective. David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Joseph clearly, we look at him as someone with exceedingly good character, there's a chap called David Jeremiah who says when you're caught in that kind of compromising situation, your best, your best investment is a pair of trainers to run with and run away from that. Don't try and think you can face up to it. There are others who say this was something he was exposed to daily and daily until it culminated in this. And some say it might have been easier just to give in. He said he would not sin against God and that helped him. However, the punishment for that, if you like, or the reward for it, was ending up in prison. If you knew you were going to end up in prison for doing what was right, would you compromise? Character, someone says, is who you are when you think nobody's watching. Joseph was in the pit and then sold into slavery. And I've put down here, when did he begin to trust God? Because, you know, we've gone away from this rather annoying young brother talking about dreams who nobody likes to suddenly finding himself in a pit, suddenly finding himself a slave, and now finding himself in prison. We aren't actually told about him saying his prayers. We're just told God was with him. 
But at what stage did God become so important to him that he felt, I would rather not sin against you? And we're not told about that. And I kind of look at our lives as well. There comes a time when, yes, you become a Christian by God's grace. There's another time when you look back and you realize you are actually living the principles you felt you would have. You're not quite sure when that happened. But suddenly there are certain things which now you look at and you go, no, that used to me be me, but not again. The recovery course that Dennis is talking about, one prays that you go there and by God's grace you're able to later on look at those things which have held you down and go no. At what time did he begin to trust God? I don't know, but it's clear God had become very real to him. He was, however, still in prison. It's not like he suddenly had been freed from everything. He's still in prison. And and, and that, if nothing else, would be confusing. Lord, I'm doing everything you've asked me to do. What's going on? But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden puts Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You'll recognize this last sentence as being similar to what Potiphar did. Potiphar entrusted his whole household to Joseph. Joseph's in prison. The wardens entrusted every... There was something about this man's life which not only made people sit up and listen, but actually trust him. Joseph is in prison, and sometime later, um, a couple of Pharaoh's uh, servants are thrown into prison, the cupbearer and the baker. And Joseph notices them and says, you're looking a bit upset. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the cupbearer tells the dream, and Joseph interprets it. And then he tells him, please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. It just makes me realize again, sometimes we think about Joseph in prison and it was all rosy until Pharaoh called him. He must have daily remembered, how did I get here and why am I here? And is begging someone, please remember me when you get out. I've done nothing to deserve this. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, didn't give him another thought. So I kind of think of Joseph again in prison. He must have given up on his dreams my brothers are going to come and bow before me. My father and mother will bow before me. I'm going to be so great. He must have given up on those dreams. He also tells someone, please remember me, nothing, not for a week, not two weeks, two years before anything else happens. And I suppose you get to a stage where you just give up. But I can't help but think, even in that situation, Joseph continued to model the sort of life that made people sit up and trust him. So, two full years later, Pharaoh has a dream. Really bothers him, he wakes up, and then he falls asleep and dreams again a second dream. And in the morning, he gets up and he's really quite disturbed. He calls all his people in the court, 
none of them could tell him about his dreams. And then the cupbearer suddenly remembers there was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he told us what each of these dreams meant. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. He says, I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph says, it's beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh tells him about the dreams. Joseph says, both of your dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. And Joseph explains then, having heard this, you now need to get somebody who's going to be able to deal with you during the seven years of of good so that you're prepared for the seven years of famine. There was one thing that struck me about this. So you're Joseph and you're brought out of the prison and you've basically had the cupbearer say to Pharaoh, this chap, he is the business. Um, Whatever he says, you know, believe him. And you go there in front of Pharaoh and one of the things Joseph said is, it's not me, it's God. Have you ever been in a situation where they look and they go, we need an expert, or we've invited an expert onto the program, and now we'll listen to you. And most of you will know exactly how the experts told us about Brexit would never happen, and where we are with yet another expert and another expert. And there are times when people go there, and one of the things you notice is humility is elbowed out of the way by pride. If you've not been in that situation, you'll be in one where somebody looks and goes, oh, just the person, just the man. And immediately your next words you think are going to be given a huge amount of credence. (laughs) Worth pausing at that stage and giving the credit to God. And, And Joseph could easily have elevated himself and taken all the credit. But one of the first things he says is, God is telling you this, Pharaoh. God is the one who interprets dreams, not me. The temptation is to allow pride to elbow humility out of the way. And I've certainly been in situations where that's been the case. And sometimes say pride comes before a fall. Do you assume the position of expert or do you remember that there's nothing you have that you weren't first given by God? Don't forget to give the glory to God. Sometimes I've wondered what that means, the word glory. And somebody interpreted it as don't forget to give the credit to God. That I can understand. So, Joseph and Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you. Pharaoh gives him his signet ring, puts him in fine clothing, and puts a gold chain around his neck. And Joseph, as he goes down, Pharaoh says, whenever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. Again, somebody else who's seen this man and trusted him. Joseph was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh. Joseph becomes prime minister, but this is 13 years after he's sold into slavery. And I've just put there, don't give up on God. I don't know how long it's going to take for your prayers to be answered, but don't give up on God. The other bit that strikes me about Joseph is succeeding in a secular world. You get to a stage where Joseph comes into this room now, we're all going to be asked to kneel down. 
You know, when people start doing that to you, it's not long before you start believing you deserve it. Did absolute power start to corrupt? I don't know. But I think it's, it's, it's a big thing. Um, you wave your hand and people rush. You've seen people go from your next door neighbor to member of parliament, sometimes to prime minister, and they change. Did absolute power start to corrupt? I don't think so. Joseph and Daniel were people who were very high up in, in the establishment of the day, but they kind of show us that doesn't need to be the case, especially if we give God the credit for our success. This, I think, is the part about it which makes Joseph actually, if you like, one of my favorites. So it's been 13 years He's now Prime Minister of Egypt. And you remember, during these 13 years, he's not forgotten about home. He remembers he's gone to prison and he didn't deserve it, at least as far as he can see. He's now in Egypt. And then he sits there and his brothers turn up. Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt. Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain. It was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. I don't think that's all he remembered. He would have remembered them throwing him into the pit and sitting down while they had a meal, selling him. And it's interesting, this next bit, he says to them, your spies... They go, no, my Lord, we're not. We are honest men, sir. And he thinks, you, honest men, I remember you. Yes, your spies, Joseph insists. Joseph throws them, he puts them through quite a few different trials. And then later on, they start saying, clearly we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when we pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. And it just makes you think even those people individually must have had sleepless nights thinking what they did to their brother. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen. Now we have to answer for his blood. They didn't know Joseph understood them. He turned away from them and began to weep. Joseph couldn't stand it any longer. There were lots of people in the room and said, "Out, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers, and then he told them who he was, and he broke down and wept. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? His brothers were speechless. They were stunned. I'm Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery in Egypt. Don't be upset. Don't be angry. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. I I can't imagine that, that scene. First of all, Joseph breaking down, then the brothers realizing, my goodness, this is true, you're alive. I don't think they could even have heard the bit where he said, it was God who sent me here ahead of you. I can't think what I would have been thinking. Then he says to them, tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt. Go and bring him back. Then he embraces Benjamin and they weep on each other's shoulders. Joseph arrives He embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. And Lee was talking about some of the songs, perhaps, that Joseph might have sung. I think Jacob might have looked and thought about the one that says, In his time, he makes all things beautiful. I would never have thought I'd live to see this day, and yet here I am. Joseph 
Jacob, his brothers, they live in Egypt. Jacob dies and he begs them, please take my body back to Shechem. So after burying Jacob, Joseph returns to Egypt with his brothers. And then you actually find out about the brothers. This thing is still worrying them. They now said, Jacob, our father's dead. Now Joseph will actually show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. And Joseph replies, don't be afraid of me. Am I God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. It's easy for those words to roll off the tongue, but if you've ever been in a situation where someone's hurt you and you've hung on to that hurt for so long, when you're able to say, I've let it go, God intended it for good, that's a huge step. Some not everybody gets to. It rolls off the tongue there, but Joseph must have had a huge amount of soul-searching. He was in a position where if he just gave the word, his brothers would have been disposed of. So, revenge. It must have been very difficult to forgive as the memories started to flood back. Words said in anger. I, I, I look at it and I know, for me, when I've been able to forgive and let go, there's a weight that's lifted. But, you know, when things get your back up, sometimes, even when the things have gone, you find something else to keep your back up, just to make sure it's there. I'm sorry, I'm not going to let go of this. I can do anything, but I can't forgive what they did. Joseph did. I find a way to put this into almost every talk I give. Because I think if I go there often enough, I might begin to understand. So this is Christ saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And I, and I think, I kind of look at it as, maybe we're the most like Christ when we learn how to forgive. So, summing up, God is faithful, God is sovereign, and God is merciful. God is faithful. Joseph's dreams... I wonder whether foreknowledge makes it easier or more difficult to trust God. God told him in his dreams, your brothers are going to bow before you. Um, when you know that this is about to happen, do you get to a state where you start to doubt God? There's a psalm, Psalm 37, verse 25, when David says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, or their children begging bread. And I remember looking at that and going, that can't be right. Of course the righteous have been forsaking. Look at Joseph. Their children begging bread. You just have to look around, you know, people who were suffering. And I've gone back to that, and it's David as an old man saying, I was young, and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaking. And if you'd asked Jacob when he got back to Egypt and was reunited with Joseph, he would be able to say a similar thing. I'll go back to it. Don't give up on God. You may not understand what's happening. Don't give up on him. God is sovereign. His sovereign will determines what will happen. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And when it seems dark and confusing, just remember, he said he will never leave us or forsake us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding. I don't know what people are going through in the room today, but some people might be in a situation where they're just beginning to ask, Lord, where are you? Hang on to him. And lastly, God is merciful. 
It was just this morning I was looking back at the thing and then I realized God didn't just bless Joseph. He blessed his brothers. <laughs> it wasn't a question if Joseph was rewarded. God blessed all of them. His ways are not our ways. We will need God's grace to be able to forgive. And like I said, perhaps we are most like Jesus when we forgive others. Why Joseph? Because I think he was just like us. God's people aren't super brave superheroes. They're just like you and me.